welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. What's up, everybody? I'm a little bit quiet secretive just because i'm in a redneck hunting blind right now it is i'm trying to think what day it is let's see let me look on my phone it's the 14th of october technically the peak of the october lull right now and i am playing my cards right I hope because our first big cold front moved in and a lot of times even if it's the lull that first good cold snap can produce good movement and I'm out here in the evening I'm actually on a green plot it was a coin toss between um, we actually got the corn off one of my fields which notoriously the first few days a cornfield's picked is always dynamite. Um, but however, just based on the conditions, I chose to come to a green plot, um, mainly because the wind was totally perfect for the green plot. Um, there's a good chance I would have blown some deer out of the corn uh, field going in or one of the bedding areas that surrounds the cornfield going in and I elected to well I elected not to for a couple reasons first off um, and this is important for bow hunters or someone who has smaller properties and properties that uh, you know aren't dense and thick enough to really be able to get around much without really bumping deer around you need to be cautious of days like today you know even though it's prime to go in there and I could probably have a pretty good opportunity to see a buck on that cornfield just knowing what the wind's doing and that for my approach I would have to blow out half of the bedding to get to where I needed to be I'm electing not to do it and one of the factors or several of the factors are this and these are things that I think are critical for people to keep in mind because mature deer they just don't take pressure very much um, sometimes you can get away with it twice but that's rare um, so one of the factors is that it's the weekend um, I rarely rarely unless it's the rut i rarely ever uh would put any type of pressure on dense cover dense bedding areas on a high traffic hunting time so the fact that it's a weekend uh definitely going to be a no the fact it's an evening also very high likelihood of someone being out in a stand on a neighboring property and the last thing i want to do is bump a deer off of my bedding over to someone else the next factor is uh, this is early season muzzleloader just opened yesterday here um, so there's a good chance someone could be waiting on any of the bordering properties with a smoke pole so even a buck that gets kind of 
bolted out of a bedding area could end up getting smoked um so i'm literally even though my odds are maybe a little less where i'm going i am making a decision based on longevity and based on the fact i don't want to push deer over to a neighbor right now so a couple factors that that actually plays into a little bit further is also just the simplicity of checking cards on your cameras or making tweaks to stands or maybe last minute lane trim outs or adjusting a blind any of that stuff you really need to start paying attention to when you do it and I do it on um, days where there's low traffic so you know Tuesday Wednesday Thursday are going to be better days obviously don't do it during the rut um, days where it's windy real windy days are great days to get out and make some tweaks because a lot of times those bucks are just going to hunker down tight anyway you've got the wind to cover your noise so if you need to like put a camera out or get a camera pulled card pulled or if you need to make an adjustment to a stand obviously don't get in a tree if it's dangerous but uh yeah i utilize those crappy days to do my tweaks it's really a way smarter way to do it because you don't burn out your spot and you don't kick uh, stuff over to your neighbors or if you do they're less likely to be out there right I mean if you pick a day with 40 mile an hour winds and rain coming down sideways the likelihood of one of your neighbors being out hunting on a day like that is pretty low so try to factor all those in put all the cards on the table and look at what is your best odds of minimalizing pressure and those are going to be the small little things that add up to having success um, and that it doesn't matter what animal you're going af after pressure is pressure these same things uh, anytime you have something patterned and you're fortunate enough to have something on a property that you can manage or that you can hunt or that you have permission on keep those animals there by uh, doing these little things like this but uh, getting back to my setup I'm in a blind uh, I've got a big green field in front of me a lot of people ask what do I plant for my fall plots and um, I normally plant a little bit of a mixture between uh, purple top turnips uh, groundhog radishes um, and also just uh, just a regular like sweet beet um, sugar beets and then what I'll do is I'll mix in about 35 to 40 pounds of uh, buck forage oats or winter oats uh, with that per acre um, the other thing I do too is I'll actually mix in some uh, some Ladino clover blends um, because what will happen is the clovers will start to establish root base they won't really come up heavy during the fall but they establish a root base and what happens is as these oats and beets and turnips and everything get eaten off and decay uh, from the winter then you've got uh, you'll have those oats that'll 
try to come up and seed out uh, at in the springtime. And as long as you mow them off before they seed out, it uh, it works really, really well as a bit of a cover crop for that clover that's still starting to pop. And what will happen is that clover will come up and you'll be able to just mow that clover every time it starts to flower just mow it off um, right you know just literally clip it right at the height of the flower and it'll be a great spring plot and summer plot you know depending on your moisture obviously but uh, the turkeys will like to strut in it the turkeys will like to pick around in it and then you'll also have some forage for the deer before the row crop gets growing so it's it's a great way to do it and the other thing, too, is, you know, the main source of food right now uh, is those radishes and turnips. They like the tops. They like the, f the forage um, at a certain point. And then once they the bulbs get to the point where they freeze and they turn to sugar, they really like the bulbs. Um, and sugar, uh, sugar beets and radishes and turnips, they all grow much better with a little bit of nitrogen and the legumes which are your clovers are a great source of nitrogen and they do wonders for the soil uh, when you lightly till them back in or you know I like a tiller I'll till them in and as I till in that that clover yeah I mean you're kind of biting the bullet on that clover seed but the thing is that clover is really cheaper than buying fertilizer you know if you go out and put 50 pounds of the acre of nitrogen down it, it adds up as well so it works really good um, these green plots have proven to be super successful not only right at the start of the seasons when things are a little bit patternable but also right during these times of the year right now uh, one of my buddies uh, a couple nights ago I posted on Instagram an awesome buck that he shot and it was actually evening we were both supposed to go hunting I was gonna hunt uh, a stand in the corner of the food plot he was gonna hunt a stand in another food plot that was down in the bottom uh, but since I decided to cook pork chops instead he actually ran up and jumped up in that tree stand that I was going to hunt and ended up shooting an absolute monster. Uh, three good bucks came out that night. It was the moon was falling uh, to that minor position, which I just wrote an article in Peterson's Bow Hunting. Uh, if you want to check that out, this is October of 2018, so you'll need to. I think it's the November uh, rut issue of. Peterson's bow hunting if you want to go back and look for it um, but the buck multiple bucks came out in the evening when the moon was falling to the horizon so it was just as I predicted great movement night a little bit of a cold snap came in uh, but tonight the cold snap is a little bit more serious I've actually got uh, freezing rain and snow hitting my windshield right now or my window right now in this redneck blind and I got out really early I expect some early movement from the does and the fawns just because it's kind of a little bit cold and some of those thinner skinned deer that are new 
to the woods are going to want to be out here eating early. So even though I'm expecting later movement for the mature deer, uh, I'm not going to see the mature deer if I'm coming in two hours or two and a half hours before dark and bumping off all of these adolescent deer that I'm certain are going to be out here. So I got out here about four and a half hours early um, before dark, which there was actually uh, three deer. There was a four corn and two fawns already in the plot. Um, so I kind of just made just enough movement to where they they kind of looked and saw something. They didn't really know what it was, and I kind of just uh, flicked my hand. I exposed my hand for my glove and just flicked my hand a few times uh, to where they couldn't really make out what I was. They kind of bounded off, and I just hurried and got right up into this this blind. And uh, I'm pretty excited about it. I've got a bow that I think everyone's going to be excited about here next week. Um, wanting to put this thing to work. And the other thing too is uh, just the other day I made a post about making sure you have your grunt tube this time of the year. There's two things that I load in my whitetail packs right now and that is a grunt tube and a set of rattling antlers. This is absolutely the time uh, that you need those if you're here in the Midwest and I made a post about it and someone made a comment there were several comments one of them was mainly in regards to you know when do I do it or how long do I do it which I'll touch on that uh, but someone else also made a comment about you know if the buck to doe ratio is a certain number that bucks won't give a crap about a grunt tube and the thing is if by chance you're in an area where for some reason a grunt tube doesn't work during this establishment time of the year and I call it that because bucks are literally establishing their core little area for the pre-rut. They're making their first scrapes, they're putting some of their scent up on lick branches uh, they're making some rubs or creating those rub lines to and from their bedding areas. And they're just establishing where it is they want to be for the rut. And a lot of uh, newer deer are moving into areas simply because crops are coming down. And once crops come down and cover is reduced then deer start to find new cover and bucks that weren't necessarily resonance for like for example for this particular farm I'm on right now um, this doesn't house a lot of bucks during the during the uh, I would say the off season um, but once crops start coming down once a couple people start hunting in their certain areas then all of a sudden these these loners just start showing up to this area because it's thick and has dense cover even though crops all around it are gone they seek that dense cover and that those uh, tall native grasses and they just like the comfort here 
uh, it's been said by some of my friends that I really, really value their opinion on, uh, as deer hunters, it's been said before that they really would prefer cover over food, um, or water. So, uh, those are three, three of the things that are necessary for any type of wildlife habitat is going to be your cover, you know, your, your food and then your water. And these people are big buck killers. And they say, if I have to choose only one thing to either establish on a property or if I have multiple properties and I'm going to choose, uh, and this goes for during the rut time of year, um, they're always going to take the cover. So when that happens and you're in an area where new bucks are going to venture into that cover, even if you have a very even buck to doe ratio, which let's face it, most places do not. Um, even if you did, there's still new, uh, new animals moving in. And even if you have a high buck to doe or a even buck to doe ratio, if an unknown animal comes into a herd, they still do sort out the pecking order. That's just a fact. And yeah, I think, uh, you know, probably seven, eight times out of 10, uh, if you're in areas where there's just constant grunting, it probably doesn't have the effect. Uh, but the reality is most of us that are hunting places where we're not having a one-to-one -one ratio, it will be effective. And the one thing that I think every deer hunter should have in their pocket is a grunt tube because if ever there is a buck that you have eyes on and it is not going to be traveling in your area then you're you're really at a point where the best thing you could do as a long shot is just give that deer a few grunts uh they're not offensive they're as long as you're not you know over calling as long as you're not in an area where there's super high pressure of grunting which is actually another subject uh, might as well touch on it now just because it's fresh on my mind but i've got a buddy of mine who has a serious issue with every single time he sees a buck even if he's not going to shoot it, he tries to call at it and see if he can get it to come over to him for a shot. And he likes to draw back and pretend like he's, you know, taking a practice to see if he'd be able to make a kill shot. And I keep telling him, these are the reasons, one, why I don't hunt with you anymore. Because you educate your deer so much. If it's not a deer you're not wanting to shoot, then you don't really need to educate it by calling it right to your tree where your stand is in there all the time. You know, wait until he's a mature deer that you're wanting to shoot and then do it for the first time at him and he's probably going to respond. If you do it to him for four years of his life, uh, he's probably not going to respond when it's always coming from the same five trees on your property. Um, but uh, 
if by chance it is a deer you want to shoot, which I made a post of a giant buck that I was able to shoot a few years ago that I had no idea was on the property. It was, uh, it was about a week later than this, and I went out for a morning hunt. I was sitting there looking at this small little doe fawn about 100 yards or 125 yards away. She kept looking back in the timber and looking back in the timber. And next thing you know, here I see this just giant stand uh, come out. And he's literally just nosing around that doe fawn. And the doe fawn wanted nothing to do with it. But he was out. And he was out in the daylight. And he was making a mistake. And... I pulled out my grunt tube. The wind was in my favor, which, you know, grunt, grunting 101, here's what you want to do. Uh, you want to make sure you contemplate the wind. If you're going to call at a deer, the wind has to be in your favor because what a deer is going to do is it's first going to look and try to pinpoint something as a visual to where that sound came from. If it can't see a visual, which if you have a decoy out, it could, but if it can't see a visual, then the next thing it's going to defer to is smell. So it's going to try to utilize the wind to actually get downwind of where it thinks that call came from to then be able to pinpoint what it is that called to it. Um, that's just how they work uh it's a simple default system and if you realize how a default system works on on mature bucks then you're going to be light years ahead of where you were previously as a hunter this goes for bull elk this goes for pronghorn this goes for whitetails first they try to identify with vision if they can't they're immediately defaulting down to the nose and they'll also utilize sound on the way uh, but it is very rare that they just charge right in without having that wind in their favor if they can use it you know the more open you are the, if you're in an open area uh, obviously they're wanting to see something like for example people that call at elk and the elk pops out into an open and it sees no other 500 plus pound animals standing out there it starts to think well what the hell and if it thinks okay I know it sounded like it came from right there then what it's going to do is it's going to start to do a button hook and it's going to start to flank you uh, utilizing the wind that's just what it's gonna do so keep that in mind whenever you're grunting if the winds in your favor or if that animal is traveling at a direction to where even though it isn't looking at you now and even though it may be slightly getting a little bit further away if you think to yourself okay when it gets there my wind is very very favorable if I call now, he only needs to really go 10 yards and he's going to be right on my wind trail. So maybe you let him get that extra 50, 60, 70 yards and then you call to him. And, you know, a couple simple grunts. Uh, you know, you don't have to just play like crazy. Just a couple simple grunts. And once he stops and looks at you, you have to stop. Again, he's trying to 
default one is pinpoint with this vision. He's going to try to pinpoint that. If you leave that up for a guess, then he's going to venture in not knowing, to, not like looking right at your tree or looking right at your tree stand. You want to you wanna keep yourself as a mystery. You know, I know there's something over there, but where is it? And if he doesn't really know, he's going to somewhat use the wind to his favor. But a lot of times he's going to try to see it first and then really button hook around. So if if that deer's moving, you give him a couple burr, burr, and he stops and looks, just freeze and just let him look and let him look. And he may just turn and start coming right in. And if he is, keep your hands tight. I tell people to keep their arms, keep their limbs within their box. Pretend your body is a tree trunk. And pretend that you're just a, literally a tree. And if your arms or your legs go outside of that tree, they're going to be exposed and they're going to be skylined. And the deer's going to see that movement. But if you keep your hands in front of yourself and you try to get that grunt tube in a pocket while your elbows are tight and while your arms are tight and you maybe just turn a little bit with your whole body tight and grab your bow, all that stuff makes huge differences from being seen and then you're able to make your shot. But let's say that deer stops, looks at you, looks, looks, and all of a sudden just starts to look away, loses interest, looks away. As soon as he starts to look away again, you give him another one. And it, I'll guarantee you that deer's going to snap his head around. And now he's going to be like, okay, first time I thought I heard you. And then I thought maybe I was going crazy. Now I know I hear you. And, you know, again, as soon as he turns to look, you stop. This is a tactic that I used when I shot uh, a giant buck here my first year living in Iowa, I called it the uh, Big Mike buck or the hamburger bag buck because I shot him on a nasty day just like today and I shot him using a grunt tube. He came, it was late rut, he came out following about eight or nine does, literally was just trailing them. I could he was only 55 60 yards when I first seen him but he was angling away from me and the way the wind was blowing with where he popped out if I would have grunted to him right then all he would have had to do is double back 10 or 15 yards and he would have been in my scent trail so I actually had to watch him go all the way across the food plot he got to about 100 yards and the wind was very favorable for me to where literally his wind was blowing directly to me, and I went ahead and grunted at him. I could see he stopped. He kind of turned and looked over his shoulder. I waited. He turned towards the does, started walking towards the does. I grunted again. His ears laid back, pointing back to try to listen to me. And then he literally started to go forward one more time to follow his does. And I gave him another long grunt. Just In other words, me saying, I'm talking to you. And he just stopped, turned, and came straight at me until he got to about 50 yards. And then started to button hook left to get my scent. And I shot him about 10 yards 
before he hit my scent trail. Uh, while I'm podcasting here, I've got uh, five does have now came to the food plot. I got all my windows buttoned up pretty tight here, uh, so I'll have to I'll have to do a quick mic throwdown to get my windows open if I need to. Um, so that's what you need to do with with grunting. A lot of times, if I'm in the timber and it's any time from mid October on, if you, if the sun comes up and you get a good look around and you know that there's nothing really around you that you see that well, then what you may want to do, and what I do a lot, is just let a few grunts out. Um, a lot of times, it's if there's any deer bedded in your area, they'll uh, they'll probably come for a little check. Um, but grunts are a, a really really good tool. Uh, I've used them late season. I've used them uh, right when deer first start kind of tickling their horns when velvet comes off. But especially this time of year is just great for grunts. Um, so just keep that in mind. Does are probably not going to want to deal with anything grunting right now. Uh, so if you have does directly underneath you and there's a buck out there, just realize you're kind of flipping the coins by throwing a grunt out there because you can end up freaking out the doe underneath you, uh, that could inadvertently freak out the buck that's, that you're trying to talk to. So just keep that in mind. Uh, next thing is rattling horns. This is a getting, and we're getting very close to the time of year where rattling horns are super productive. I've killed so many deer uh, with rattling horns and you really want to uh, make sure you always have those in your pack. Now my personal feeling is big horns call big deer. Uh, I just, ooh, a little buck just came out, a little six point just came out straight in front of me. I'm not going to have much more time here, I think. Movement's starting to happen. Just to give you an idea, I was very accurate. Uh, it's now 4.30, so it's uh, at least two hours prior to dark, and we've, I've already got uh, deer moving right now. Again, the temperature's dropped 25 degrees. Uh, this is going to be a good evening, but for rattling horns, uh, again, Make sure you're not rattling at deer that you're not going to be trying to get a shot at. It's just really poor decision making because one, if that deer comes in and learns your tree, he's going to know it for a while. Two, you're going to, you know, there might, especially if you're on public land, you're going to booger up uh, maybe someone else's opportunity that might be really happy with that deer. Um, and, you know, you just overall change the experience. If something comes to your tree and smells you and snorts and runs off, you're not doing yourself any favors. The key to being a good hunter is having the ability to get in and get out without things knowing that you're there. That's such a big thing for people to take on. I've I've got friends 
that are just really, really good about being quiet um, while they're in the field. But then all of a sudden, it's like it gets dark and they feel like they have a free pass to just make a buttload of noise. And it's like, listen, if there's ever a time when you have to be the quietest possible is going in and going out. It's absolutely critical that you're quiet because if you make an impression or an imprint on that whole area by making noise, then all you do is change your hunting and change the whole experience. Uh, you know, animals are more on edge. Uh, they're a lot more cautious. You build animals that are way more likely to be string jumpers if they feel like they're they know there's presence there at some point but they're just don't know when it is um so i always try to you know just get in the habit of not closing car doors you know not slamming car doors not talking with full voices um just all those little things you know not crunching a can just because it's dark you know literally try to be as quiet as you can and I know I'm saying literally a lot. That's my new word. Uh, people are even calling me up on it. I shouldn't say people. Ryan Broncos tell me that that's my new word. So that's why I'm actually, I wasn't even going to use it today. I'm using it just to make them mad. So, uh, yeah, that's one thing that you need to do. But back to rattling, what I'll do is I'll play the wind. You know, if you see a deer that you're wanting to call to you, ooh, new, another deer just came up. All right, let's take a look at this guy. Two-year-old, nice two-year-old just popped up. Pretty cool, first two-year-old whitetail I've seen of the year. But uh, yeah, when you rattle, make sure you got the wind in your favor. Um, you know, start out by just tickling the horns. You know, a lot of times it doesn't take much. Once that deer's looking at you, try to keep the horns either you know, sometimes I'll, I'll turn and I'll actually face my body to the tree and I'll have the horns between me and the tree and I'll be rattling and blocking so that that deer can't see the horns moving. And once they lock onto you, you just, if you're in that type of position, you can still kind of tickle them a little bit. But once they commit to coming, you have to be able to just put those things away. Now, one thing that's important is make sure you have a, a set of horns that you're able to actually put back together quick. Um, I actually use an old release strap. I have two pieces of string wrapped around the base of my horns, uh, probably about a foot and a half long, and in the middle is an old uh, wrist strap release. Uh, or wrist strap from a release and I can put my horns together and then I can actually flip that uh, wrist strap upside down and I can buckle uh, it's not velcro it's buckle I can buckle those horns together so they don't make noise or I can uh, hang them from that wrist strap on a peg uh, so just keep all that in mind but I call at deer when I know the wind's in my favor. As soon as they look at me, I'm not allowing them to see me. I'm not continuing the call unless, you know, if it's a buck that's 150, 200 yards away, you can still do some rattling. He's not going to be able to pinpoint you uh, with vision at that distance as long as you've got good cover. 
Um, but I utilize rattling all throughout the day, pretty much starting around uh, the, the first time when I start seeing bucks uh, on does. So normally around Thanksgiving is kind of my time. Uh, so Thanksgiving is one of my favorites to, uh, to be out hunting. So on those days, I'll wait till the sun comes up. I'll, uh, take a good look around, make sure there's no deer close that I'm going to disturb and freak out. And I'll go ahead and rattle. I'll rattle. And here's what's absolutely critical when you do this is always making sure you're ready. If you're going to rattle, it means you are ready to shoot. Do not rattle if you're not ready to shoot. I had this exact conversation with uh, Ben O'Brien. He came, it was late morning, right before noon, I think, or maybe afternoon, and I told him, I said, when I rattle, you got to be ready. He said, okay. So I rattled the first time. I'm looking around. My head's literally on a freaking swivel. I'm waiting for something at any second. Uh, and nothing came during that first sequence. But I remember my head was on a swivel for five minutes. I'm staying tight to the tree. My head's swiveling around. And I turn and look at Ben. And he's doing an Insta story. And I just told him, I said, dude, if I rattle, your bow is in your hand, no phones, like, it could happen instantaneously. You're literally putting yourself up to be hunted at that point. You have to be 100% ready to rock. So uh, about 45 minutes went by which is about if it's rut and traffic is slow and you're in thick cover about 45 minutes went by and I said okay I'm gonna rattle again and he goes okay and I think it was either afternoon after lunchtime or something and I literally put those horns together and started rattling and I turned and looked and Ben was ready and he just pointed like here he comes and sure enough here's a buck just coming on a rope and ended up coming right in to about 15 yards at the most ben put a smoker shot on him game over his textbook rattling uh i could see everything downwind of me i was making sure there was no deer downwind of me um uh, and you know i rattled started out rattling a little bit light rattled kind of hard for a little bit um and then as soon as i got my horns apart uh, or you know done with my rattle i i took my horn, horns apart i slid them back together so they fit tightly together and i wedged them in the crotch of the tree and i just instantaneously just got ready for something to come don't get caught with literally your horns i said literally again that's for you ryan uh your horns in your hands uh, don't get caught with your horns dangling down on your seat. You literally have to, God, it's getting bad. Now I know I'm saying it. Um, you have to be able to rattle, put those things where you can have both hands free, be able to move and have your grunt tube accessible too. Because if that deer, if you see one of those deer 
coming, but he doesn't necessarily know where that rattle came from, if he's venturing off course or heading off a course that might potentially put him downwind of you before you get a shot, throw a grunt at him and just say, whoa, I'm right here. Uh, and he'll lock on to you and then he'll know exactly where that rattle came from. Uh, a buck that I shot several years ago on one of the episodes, I think I called him Spurs. Um, he was a buck that I rattled at. Uh, I saw him, he was actually on a doe, breeding a doe, and I was sitting there uh, looking at him breeding the doe he bedded down with the doe i was just staying quiet because i knew you know he's got a hot doe he's not all he's going to do is leave if i challenge him so i waited for them to stand up naturally to see if they were going to kind of come my way in the creek and luckily the doe he was done with her the doe just ventures off and he just starts rubbing a tree like okay i'm getting ready to start over and I hit the horns together, and he looked up. He was probably, I don't know, 150 yards or so down this creek bed and literally, said it again, came running by me, ran by. I couldn't even stop him. I saw him coming. I put the horns between my legs. I grabbed my bow. I pulled back and, and just followed him, just fly right by me. Uh, <laughs> once again, I had to wait for him to, like, go past me, lose interest, start like heading off into the timber a different direction to where the wind was favorable for me to call at him again. I then called at him again. He ran by me again. I once again had to wait for him to just roam around and venture off into the timber to where he was in a spot where the wind was a little bit more favorable for me to call. I called at him again. And this time he came in and I got a shot just under 40 yards and killed him. But uh, yeah, it was a matter of just knowing what he would do if I was giving away my position perfectly. If I would have perfectly gave away my position and he would have pinpointed me when he had the ability to utilize the wind, that's exactly what he would have done and I would have been busted. So hopefully some of those tips help you out. Um, we're getting ready to get into the awesome time of year for whitetails, no doubt about it. Make sure you, uh, a couple things. One, uh, you know, if you're someone who wigs out about peeing in your stand, a great thing that you can get, they're cheap, go to Walgreens or CVS and get one of the rubber ice, um, the uh, the ice bladders for you know if you want to like ice down your knee. Um, those they're like a rubber looks like a rubber balloon with a screw on cap. Um, those are pretty good because they minimize and they stretch way out. Um, so you can unscrew the lid, take a whiz on one of those things. Uh, put the lid back on it. Otherwise, you can, you know, you can just get a big screw-on bottle if you're worried about that. Uh, but the name of the game coming up here in another few weeks is being in the stand. I can't stress this enough. Uh, people were asking me if I think the best movement's going to be in the evening right now. I think tonight is going to be a great 
movement evening just based on the situations but i can tell you that in the mornings these bucks uh are going to be covering ground and marking their territory so these next few weeks sightings are going to be hit and miss they are going to be few and far between it's not going to be ideal no question about it it's going to be slow but I can tell you that you do have the ability of a long shot because mid-mornings, late mornings, these bucks are going to be starting to hit these scrapes. Remember, they like their scent on the ground. They're starting to, their necks are starting to swell. Their dorsal glands are starting to get stunk up. So they're wanting their scent known. So I can tell you right now, if it's a rainy day, and then the rain stops, these bucks are going to want to mark their territory. It's a guarantee. They're going to want to have their scent fresh. So if it rains, get on those scrapes. If you've got some good stands in the timber where there's scrapes close by, get in there and, and don't be afraid to, to sit till till noon. My number one hour for killing big bucks is is from... 10:30 or 10:45 to about 11:45. I've killed more big bucks during that hour than any other hour on the clock. So don't come out of your stand at 10 o'clock, 10:15. You're making a big, big, big mistake. Just give it that extra hour. Try to sit there. Just make it up in your mind that you're going to sit till noon, and go ahead and do it. Uh, but I think all that's going to be critical. I can tell you I will hunt food sources until uh, I'll hunt food sources until I see the first big bucks pinned down on does. Once I see the first big bucks on does, then that's when those does are going to start vacating the being seen. They're not going to want to be in the open. And there's a pretty cool picture if I had a camera. There's a buck on his back feet. That that little fork horn's all the way on his back feet trying to get a, a lick branch down so he can rub his eyes on it. Um, so, yeah, keep all that in mind. If the does start to vacate, you know, if the big bucks are breeding does, the does aren't going to want to be getting harassed, so they don't want to be in the open. As soon as that happens here in the midwest it's going to be somewhere around the first few days of november that's your key to get off those food sources and get into the cover just get down in there get into the thick areas you're going to see does just slinkering along crawling along not wanting to get being scared to get seen by any buck to to get harassed they're going to be just trying to play it cool uh, bucks are going to be just zigzagging through that timber trying to find those does so keep all that in mind you don't you can definitely hunt there's going to be a good moon coming up right towards the end of october to hunt some evenings uh, once that happens then you know once that full moon kicks in and you got that full moon then you're going to want to uh you're going to definitely want to get down in the timber uh in those mornings and hunt throughout those mid mornings once that full moon uh kicks in here at the end of October beginning in November 
But until that, leading up to that full moon, don't be afraid to be on some food sources here at the end of the month. In the evenings, you'll have some good opportunities. Um, but keep in mind, if you can hunt a morning till noon, it's worth the long shot uh, for a buck marking his area. Don't forget your horns. Don't forget your safety belt. For God's sakes, don't forget your safety belt. And make sure if you haven't watched a video on how to actually safely hook up your safety belt, which I should probably do that just so no one uh, hooks it up incorrectly. Make sure you're hooking your lanyards up correctly. I don't want any of us or anyone that you know that I don't even know. I don't want anyone in the hunting community getting hurt. Uh, from a falling accident it's 2018 we don't need that happening anymore uh, make sure you're staying safe and other than that I'm gonna let you freaks go give you some good little whitetail snidbits uh, that I think is gonna be something you can put to use so I've got about an hour and a half left here till prime time and I'm going to let things get quiet and get situated and then hopefully post a giant buck that I whack for you here in Iowa. So knock on everybody. Good luck this season. I'm rooting for you. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com. <laughs>